Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. Glad you're joining us online. Thanks for being a part of this. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you, and I'm just happy that you're participating in church. This is good. So we've been in a series for quite some time now out of the book of 1 Corinthians. It's one book. It's written by the Apostle Paul, written somewhere around 54, 55 A.D., And he is writing to a group of people he spent a year and a half of his life with in the city of Corinth. They have um, had this radical experience where they've been a part of this ancient Corinth, uh, city of Corinth. They've been a part of the Greco-Roman Empire. They've had their own kind of rules for life, their own ethics, their own views on pretty much everything. They're deeply philosophical people. But now they've taken this tremendous step to begin to be disciples of Jesus And last week and then this week, Paul's writing to them because he's concerned that they are flirting with some things that are really dangerous. And so basically, they're wondering, like, how much of our Greek Roman culture can we take with us as we follow Jesus? Which is a question that all human beings ask. So Paul's going to talk specifically to us today about temptation. Okay, so temptation. Now, what I like about this is Paul is very, very practical. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, listen, temptation is inevitable. But he's going to say, you need to have a completely different concept of what God is doing, what the nature of temptation is like, how you stand up against temptation. And this is true whether or not you're spiritually unresolved. Maybe you're not sure what you believe. This is still a dynamic in your life. Or if you've been following Jesus for 40 years, you are still going to face temptation. And Paul acknowledges that and then helps us. So in the previous verses, which we looked at last week, if you missed that, you can always go back online. Paul said there are four major things that the people in Corinth are flirting with that concerns him. And they're ancient things. So he goes back and tells stories out of the Hebrew people's lives in the Old Testament about these four things. Here's the four big temptations for them. Number one was idolatry. Okay, idolatry. Meaning me putting my hope, my dream, my expectations, my faith, my trust, my love in anything other than God himself. It becomes an idol. Like I, I, I look to this thing to give me comfort or hope. The second was immorality. So it's a misunderstanding of sexuality, thinking that sex is about me. Like, uh, it's just common. Like human beings have always dealt with this, problems in terms of sexuality. The third was testing God. Okay, testing God. Um, Pushing the limits. Phrases like, if God, if you love me, how could this happen to me? And then the fourth and final one is grumbling, which most grumbling in my life starts with this. I deserve. God, I deserve better than this. And he says, these four things were problems for the ancient Hebrews and they're problems for you and then they're problems for us 
as well. So we're going to read one verse that we looked at last week and then look at this whole idea about temptation. You'll notice that if you're following along in your Bible, the paragraph divisions might be a little different. Please know this, that when the Bible was written, especially a book like Corinthians, it was a letter. And so there were no chapters and there were no verses. People have added those later to help us try to figure out where we're at on a page. It was just one continuous letter. When you look at the Old Testament, things that are written in Hebrew, get this. I did not do well in Hebrew class. There's no chapters. There's no verses. There's no paragraphs. There's no punctuation. And there's no vowels. And you read from left to right. So when you read the Hebrew Bible, it's just like one mass of words. So you have to guess where the vowels go. Right? It's a very efficient way of writing because just think about that, right? So this, we're going to put some verses together because this is part of one Paul's argument, okay? Trying to help the people in Corinth understand temptation, how to deal with this tension that they're experiencing. Let's read together. These things happened to them, meaning the ancient Hebrew people as examples we can learn from them today. There's no reason to learn from the school hard knocks why don't you learn from people in the past who dealt with these four biggies, idolatry, immorality, testing God, and grumbling, and were written down as warnings for us on whom, oh, I love this phrase. This, this is a phrase that Paul is going to give towards Jesus. The fulfillment of the ages has come. So he says this, we're in this place. Jesus came to this earth just some decades before, and it's the fulfillment of everything God's wanted to do, of bringing a a creation and a creator back together of creating relationship between God and humans once again, the fulfillment of all the ages. So, if you think you're standing firm, I'm strong, I've got this together. Like, I, I, I'm invincible. Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken, or some of our Bibles say seized. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God, he is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Some translations say a way of escape so that you can be free of it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Remember this word flee, because we're gonna come back to this. It's very important as Paul talks about temptation. So there's Paul, these really helpful words to human beings who are dealing with temptation all the time, different ways. What does Paul say about temptation? And I would really encourage you as we look at this text, this is one of those where you don't want to think about this in like your neighbor or, oh, I wish my son was here or my boss was here. Paul's writing to all of us who face the same thing and it's for us. So what do we know about temptation? Paul says, if you want to thrive in the midst of temptation, not be, it comes back to being crushed or stumbling. He says, here's the first thing, be humble. Be humble. If you want to make it through temptation, if you want to maintain your integrity, here's the first thing that you want to do. You want to have a posture in your heart, in your life of humility. It's as if any of you who think you're strong, 
If you think that you have this deep moral fortitude and you're different than every other human being, oh yeah, 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 oh, people make those decisions, but not me. I was raised the right way. I've got integrity. He says, if you think you are strong, be careful lest you fall. And there is a strong biblical line that you can follow through thousands of years of human history. It talks about pride. Like Proverbs, pride comes before the fall. And that most of the time, I am the most vulnerable. Please hear this. I am the most vulnerable to temptation when I feel really good about myself. When I feel like, oh, I've learned all the lessons, I've got it together, like I am unshakable. Paul says, you have to be humble because if you're not humble, you're a target. You know, I have this phrase I just carry around and, and I, don't, I don't mean for this to be like manipulative or scary, but it is realistic. You and I are one, just one, one bad decision away from a catastrophe. Think about it. You could live your life with a moral code and be disciplined, and you can make one bad decision. And trust me, I've walked with people through this, people I respect who have one error in judgment, who go just too far in some area, and all of a sudden in front of us, it is just catastrophic. You've got crisis. You've got embarrassment and shame and it feels like all your integrity has just evaporated in front of you. And if you can live with that mentality, okay, it's not that I'm strong and they're weak. Lord, I could fall at any moment. I need to trust you. I need to learn how to follow you. So when we talk about humility and temptation, I wish that temptation was always obvious. Wouldn't it be nice if, you know, you're facing some fork in the road and you're like, wait, it smells like sulfur, right? And oh, there, there you are, the great tempter, and you've got your pitchfork and you're whispering in my ear, rob a bank, right? Or the, the earth is flat. What, you're, you're... Here's the problem with temptation. It's usually not very obvious. And so I miss that there is temptation that is happening. Temptation is insidious. Temptation is covert. And here's what temptation typically tries to do in your life. Create space and separation from you and God. Temptation says, be autonomous. Make your own decisions. Enlighten yourself. You deserve, if you had that, you'd find more security. So temptation, listen, we often, oftentimes miss it because we're expecting some big battle and some crazy thought to come into our lives. But most temptation is incremental and it takes humility to be able to face it down. Like this, this sense of like, God, I need you because except for your grace, except for your wisdom, except for your uh, involvement in my life, I could fall to pieces at any moment. So humility, humility, humility. Here's the second thing about temptation. We will be tempted, okay? It's inevitable, right? As Paul says, doesn't say if you are tempted. He says, when you are tempted. So temptation 
is going to happen in your life, I can guarantee you before you go to bed tonight, you will experience some form of temptation. And it's not gonna be like to do something crazy. It's gonna be to do something that makes you independent from God, that makes you feel good. The nature of temptation is this, it's not a sin. Okay, so oftentimes you feel so guilty because you're tempted. Listen, temptation isn't a sin. It is not. Jesus was tempted. Matthew chapter four. Jesus is, uh, he's just at the end, he's weak, he hasn't eaten. He's trying to do what Adam and Eve couldn't do. Okay, so Genesis chapter three, temptation is part of the human story from the very beginning. Adam and Eve are tempted. Jesus is tempted. Adam and Eve succumb to the temptation. Jesus says no. And when the devil shows up to tempt Jesus, he doesn't show up with a whole bunch of crazy ideas, does he? He starts suggesting, take a little shortcut. Just a little compromise. That's all you need. Temptation is a sin. You will face it. Jesus faced it. So what's temptation like? like? If it's so hard to recognize, here's the few things I know about temptation, mainly from Genesis chapter three. Temptation always begins with a lie. With a lie. And it's usually a subtle lie. So in Genesis chapter three, you have Adam and Eve in this harmonious relationship with God, just how God intended it for be, to be. And all of a sudden, up comes this crafty, the Bible says, and this serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals. And because he's crafty, please know that, right? When you're dealing with the tempter, he's crafty. He's gonna try to sneak in and distract you, create little, little separation between you and God. And the serpent and Eve are looking at this garden, which God created, like everything in the garden is them. There's, it's for them, there's just one rule, one rule. Don't eat from this tree, which is the knowledge of good and evil, which means autonomy, which means I get to decide what's right and wrong. I get to determine what is morally and ethically correct and incorrect. And a serpent, just because he's crafty, starts with just these little lies. Hey, did, did God really say that you couldn't even touch that fruit? God didn't say that. Just a little lie. Hey, you know, Eve, if you took that fruit, here's what I think. Here's what I know about you. Eve, you would make a terrific goddess. You could decide what's right and wrong. Do, maybe, I wonder if God's trying to hold you back. I wonder if God is, he's threatened by you in some way. And, and it's described this way. The, the, fruit, the fruit was what? Pleasing to the eye. So aesthetically. It's attractive. Temptation, there's always something aesthetically like, oh, I like that. That's shiny. That's beautiful. Good for food. It, it does something, it, it, like physically, this would be satisfying to me. And then the third thing it says, and it was desirable, desirable for gaining wisdom. That I would be more enlightened. I would be like free from the bonds of God and religion. I could move forward and expand. Those are the three things that you always find about temptation. And they always begin with a tiny little lie. Just a little bit of deception. Where I begin to think this way. If this is my Eden, okay, this is the place where God's put you. That there is more joy and more happiness and more enlightenment 
and more pleasure outside of what God has already given me. It's, it's just going to be a little bit better if I'm out there. That is the nature of temptation. Now, how do you deal with temptation when it's always started with a lie? Matthew chapter four, I encourage you to read that. This is where Jesus is tempted. I think it's a pattern that has just been so influential, so helpful for generations of followers of Jesus. Here's what Jesus does. When the enemy comes with these insidious little lies, trying to create space between Jesus and his father, trying to create space between you and your creator, what does Jesus do? He takes the lie, he hears the lie of the serpent, and he speaks truth. So you deal with the lie that's involved in temptation by speaking what is actually true. And Jesus goes back to the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Numbers. And when the serpent says this, Jesus quotes a scripture and establishes truth. For example, uh, the devil says to Jesus, hey, why don't you take these stones, make them into bread, you're hungry, you haven't eaten for weeks. And Jesus just takes a scripture and he says, listen, Human beings do not live on bread alone, but out of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus says, I'm going to establish, I'm going to blow up your lie, okay? I'm going to blow up your little lie. And that, like you think, rocks into bread, no big deal, Jesus is hungry. It's like using your power for your own benefit. And Jesus says, no, no, I need more than bread. I need to be fed by the Father. So let me give you an example of this. When you are facing temptation, just know you have to learn to recognize this insidious little lie. Establish truth in its, in its stead. Okay? Um, I'll try to give you an example. For years, years, it doesn't happen anymore because I'm a little bit older. But when I first started uh, pastoring adults, I was 32 years old. And I, like, I would feel these profound insecurities and people would say things that helped me feel insecure. Like, oh, I thought you were the youth pastor. When's the real pastor coming back? I got that like every week. And I'll tell you what, like it just started to get in me. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I can't do this. Feeling terribly insecure. And so every time before I would come out and try to teach the Bible, I'd be just battling these feelings of insecurity, massive insecurity. I read where Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor. He says this, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but you set an example for the believers in faith and life and love and liberty. I can't tell you how many thousands of times I have quoted that scripture when the lie that you're too young, you're too insecure, you're too simple to be able to do this. So you find the truth and address the lie. Otherwise, I start thinking, hey, you got a good point there. I am to this. I am not enough, right? So address the lie with truth. You and I will be tempted. Point number three. Okay, you ready? Point number three is this. You have to know that you are not alone in the midst of temptation. You're not alone in the midst of temptation. So Paul says, like, listen to these words. No temptation has overtaken you or has seized you except what is common to mankind. Okay, so no temptation, there's no temptation that you are dealing with that isn't a part of the human condition. So here's one of the profound challenges with temptation. 
the enemy, the serpent, right, wants you to begin to feel that you are so twisted and you are so broken. Nobody else deals with the things that you deal with. Like you're, you're too far gone. Like seriously, you, you're tempted in that way. And Paul says to these people in Corinth who feel like there's something so desperately wrong with me. How could I even experience this temptation? Paul says, there's not a temptation on the planet that you deal with that isn't common to human life in general. You are not the only one. Because when I feel temptation, here's what I want to do. I want to isolate. I feel embarrassment. I want to hide. I just want to disappear. And then I want to create some sort of presentation to the world that I'm okay. Oh no, there's nothing wrong with me. Which leads to this deep and ugly religious cycle. Paul says this to the Corinthians. Listen, I don't know what you think is so terribly wrong in your life that you need to hide and you feel profound shame. He says, listen, no temptation that you're dealing with isn't common to mankind. The first thing that Adam and Eve feel when they give in to this temptation, they have the dialogue with the serpent, what do they feel? Shame. Like just profound shame. That's what human beings deal with. Like I feel like, how could I even deal with this? And everybody has their own stuff. You were raised in your own family. You have your own like challenges. Paul just says, listen, you're not so broken that God's like, oh, oh, oh my goodness. I can't believe you just considered that. Did you know that God's not like, he's not surprised by any temptation that you have. One of the beauties of Jesus, we were just told that Jesus faced every temptation that every human being could ever face. He, he just did it different than we do. He didn't give in to him. Jesus was tempted. He understands when you're weak. You don't have to feel guilt and shame. We're not alone in the midst of your temptation. Realistically, We've got a group for just about everything that you can deal with in this church. Why? Because when you find out I'm not alone, I'm not the only one, I thought I was so broken, I thought I was so far beyond repair, you're not alone. And here, here's the fourth thing. So he says, be humble. He says, understand that you will be tempted, it's inevitable. Understand that you're not alone. Other human beings are dealing with this. And here's the fourth one. I think this is by far the most important. And it's going to seem a little bit odd, but you'll see why it's important. Please know this, that God is in the midst of temptation. God is there in the midst of temptation. So it seems like the Corinthians are thinking like, oh man, the things that we're tempted by, our old life, we want to go back to... Paul just says this, here's three things that you have to know about God in the midst of your temptation. Number one, he says this, you have to know that God is faithful. When you are tempted, here's what you got to know. God is faithful. Now, what does that mean? That means that God does not give up on you. He doesn't give up on me. That God is you remember like when you just pushed it too far with your teacher or your parents and they roll their eyes and they're like, I am done with you, right? 
I don't know how, I don't know why, it's an all loving God where God has never gotten to the place with you and I where he goes like, I'm done. I am so done with your temptations. It's disgusting me. Paul just says this, you gotta know that God is faithful. He will continue to be with you in the midst of whatever temptation that you face. If you, you've had issues with addiction in the past, sometimes you feel like I've let so many people down. Everybody I love has given up on me because I've broken their hearts. Here's the one person that will not give up on you is God. He is faithful in the midst of it. Then he says this about God. God's in your temptation. He's faithful and he knows your limits. No temptation has seized you except for what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God knows your vulnerabilities and he knows your limits. Now I'll tell you, this takes away an excuse. It takes away an excuse like it was, the temptation was just too strong. I couldn't handle it. God goes, no, I know your limits. God understands like the vulnerabilities in your life and in my life. And each of us have different vulnerabilities, don't we? I'm gonna talk about this a little bit next week. But God knows my limits. Say, say I've had a lot of friends that have dealt with like gambling addictions, which is a real thing. I've seen people like lose houses. I mean, just devastate their lives over it. You know what? I've never even bought a lottery ticket because I am so financially conservative and cheap. I could go start a ministry in a casino in Las Vegas tomorrow and not experience any temptation in that area. Because I just go into the casino, I'm like, this is a bad deal. I know where they got all the money from. <laughs> People hoping that they would win, right? But I've got to understand, if that is my vulnerability, wow. I've got to be aware of that. He knows my limits. He knows my limits. And then here's the third thing that Paul says you got to know about God in the midst of temptation is this. He will provide a way of escape. Just think of this for a moment. When you're dealing with whatever temptation you face, these little insidious lies, these things that move you towards autonomy, move you towards independence, move you towards grumbling, whatever it might be, God is actively involved in the midst of our temptation, creating an escape route. Creating a chance, an opportunity, a way for me to get out of this. I mean, I just like visually think about this for a while. I'm facing my own temptation and like I start feeling the guilt and the shame. Like how could I even think about this? And God is creating, like he's knocking out a back door. Now, sometimes I think the way out is a little bit of a squeeze, right? I'm looking like, where is it? Dive through the hole. Go, go, go. But God, when I'm tempted, cares so much. He's not like frowning, looking down, inactive, like, what's he going to do? God's like, oh, my goodness. He's in a tight spot. Let me create a way out, a way of escape. I, I, I want there to be a path for them other than the path that they are currently considering. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Paul then says, he ends the whole section by saying, flee. 
I just want you to flee. Now, this is a principle that you will find throughout the Bible. Part of the way out that God provides is an opportunity to flee or to escape. And this is so counterintuitive. Most of us say this, listen, and I'm guilty of this. I think, no, 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 here's what I know. I need to be stronger. I need to have more moral uh, strength. This time, I'm gonna say no. God does not say, God is faithful. He will provide you endurance to stand up forever under the same temptation. The Bible does not say that. God says, I will provide a way of escape. And then it says, and flee. Now, I don't like to run. A couple reasons for that. I find it uncomfortable to physically run. And I find it uncomfortably like to my manhood to run from conflict, right? I want to I wanna become stronger. I want to overcome it. I want to face it. Like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it this time. Over and over in the Bible, you will see this thing. Flee from temptation. It is part of God's escape route that he's creating for you. You go all the way to Genesis. In the very beginning, there's a man named Joseph. This guy, he's got every excuse for making whatever mistake, for being selfish. His life has been awful. He's been sold into slavery. His brother's faked his death. Now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And he's just, a, he's an attractive man. And Potiphar's wife just keeps coming at him over and over and over. And what does he do? He runs. He runs. Paul writes to Timothy, who's a pastor in a church, a city called Ephesus. And he says this to Timothy. He doesn't say, Timothy, I want you to avoid temptation. I want you to stand strong. He says, Timothy, I want you to flee youthful lust. I want you to create space between you and whatever your temptation is. So please think this way in terms of temptation. Paul's really clear. It is not about being stronger. It's about God opening up a way of escape and me running, me fleeing. Quit trying to fight your temptation. I do not believe that that is a biblical principle. Instead, God knows your vulnerabilities and he's gonna create a way out. What's the way of escape? What's the way to flee? It might be picking up the phone and calling a friend, calling a sponsor. It might be saying, you know what? I'm gonna smash this computer. It might be saying, I need to get out of town. I need to escape because I am sitting here having conversations with serpents. How long are you gonna be able to have a conversation with the most crafty one out there? Don't sit there and talk to him and reason him and think, I'm gonna be better, I'm gonna be stronger. Let God open up an escape route and get out. Boogie. Find a new reality, a new place to be. I wanna end with a couple of questions, okay? Three of them. First question is this. What are the unique and specific areas of temptation that you face individually? So again, sometimes we just miss it because we're, it's not about robbing banks, okay? It's about, it's about pride. It's about independence. It's about in autonomy. It's about grumbling. It's about idolatry. It's about immorality. 
What are your unique and specific areas of temptation? Can you be aware of those things? When you have a conversation with a serpent, you usually don't know you're having a conversation with a serpent. What are those areas in your life? Is it pride? Here's the challenge. Some areas of temptation in your life will be rewarded by our culture. If your idol is your career, or maybe it's finances, and you work like crazy and you know, like you're the best employee, but it's actually driven by this fear of inadequacy, whatever it might be, you're gonna get a raise. You know what, that's a temptation to trust in something other than Jesus. Here's the second question. Are you trying to fight the temptation or are you running toward the escape? Okay, so here's the challenge with the original temptation in Genesis chapter three. Eve and Adam are having a conversation with a serpent who gets them to focus on the one thing, right? Joy and happiness, fulfillment, enlightenment is just out there. It's right within your reach. Here's the problem. You know when they run? They run from God after they've taken the fruit. Because they've taken the fruit, they've chosen autonomy, and now they hear God walking and calling to them. Where are you? This God who created them, this God who loves them, this God who knows them, after they've been dialoguing with the serpent and they have given in to temptation, what do they feel? They feel shame and they feel guilt. And so they run and they hide. It says they covered themselves with fig leaves. By the way, there's 26 species of fig leaves. 19 of them have thorns that irritate the skin. Chances are Adam and Eve are hiding and they're pressing these thorny fig leaves into their body, feeling so bad about what they've done, hiding from God. So they ran from God. Here's where we want to be in temptation. Realization happens. Oh my goodness, I'm having a conversation with a crafty serpent who's trying to just create space between me and God. I I don't want to give in, so I feel shame and want to run from God. I want to run to God as the temptation is actually happening. So I turn away from this thing, this, this creature that is getting me to focus on the one thing that would make me happy. And I say, uh-uh, God, where are you? I'm running to you. I believe that you are faithful. I believe that you will love me. I believe that you're creating a way of escape. I'm running towards God rather than running to him from him. Don't run from God. Run to him in the midst of it. Here's our third and final question. Are you, uh, am I comfortable running to the Lord when I face temptation? Just, will I run to him? Because if you don't run to him, you will run from him later. Can I run to him? So as I was uh, thinking through this weekend, I had a funny conversation that came to mind. Some of you may have heard this before, but I, I think it's good for us to remember this. I think sometimes there's a sense of what, uh, for some of you who might be veterans, you've been around, you're like, well, you know, I'm getting older and I'm getting wiser. And we tend to actually move over into this, this lack of humility and pride. So I had a really dear friend. I admired him. He had done a lot of like great work, some businesses and been in ministry. His name was Jack. 
Jack was 87 years old. He was a widower, and he fell in love with a gal named Barb. And um, I teased him because he was robbing the cradle. He's 87, and Barb was 76. And she had outlived her husband, too. And they fell in love. They were part of the church, and it was just, like, so cute. And so they came to me, and they said, hey, um, Nate, we'd like you to do our wedding. And it, like, what an honor, right? 87 and 76. I'm like, absolutely. And he said, hey, and I want to, I want to do the premarital counseling. I was like, do you really? Because you, you like were married to your wife before she died for 50 some years. He's like, no, no, really important. So we met for like three weeks to do the premarital counseling. And then my last session is, is like the, the sex talk, okay? And I don't know, it's just like, I don't know if I can have this conversation with <laughs> And I thought this literally crossed my mind. I'm like, they don't need it anyway. You know, they like live so much. And so I said, hey, we're just going to skip session four and we're going to go right into planning your wedding. And he looks at me and he goes, you're going to skip the sex talk? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, no, you're not. (laughs) Okay. And I said something really ignorant. I said, well, you know, I thought, you know, at your age, he goes, son, you will never be done with temptation. (laughs) And I was like, oh, nuts, seriously, like 87 years old? And I'm still gonna be fighting with temptation? Yeah, because guess what? It's part of the human condition. And you never become too godly. And you never become too mature. There is always a serpent who is looking for you. And he's crafty. But God is faithful, and he will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And he will create a way of escape where we run to him, get comfortable with fleeing. We run to him so that we never have to run from him. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.